Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. Today, I'm honored to welcome Hallie Tecco, healthcare optimist, entrepreneur, angel investor, LP, professor, and podcast host of Heart of Healthcare. Hallie, thanks for joining us today. We're so looking forward to learning from you. Oh, thanks for having me. Just like hearing my bio makes me tired. <laughs> <laughs> All of us women know what that's like, right? When yes. we are ambitious and we push forward, it does sound like, seem like that, doesn't it? Yes. So to start this conversation <laughs> off, right, what inspired you to enter healthcare entrepreneurship, investment, and do the work that you do? I would love to hear, you know, about your career journey and how you've kind of seen healthcare evolve throughout it. Yeah. So I um, like formally entered healthcare when I went back to business school and I I wanted a career switch. I was working in tech and I really wanted to apply what I was learning um, around business models and software um, to a space where I could make the biggest impact possible. And I had at the time, you know, so young, <laughs> um, you know, I was so uh, socially driven and explored a lot of industries, but kept coming back to healthcare as it was time and time again, proven to be the biggest opportunity to make a difference in the lives of Americans. And also just a really complex system that intrigued me. And so intellectually was really interested. And so I went to business school with that in mind, with that, like as my business school admissions essay, like I want to combine my interests in healthcare and technology and figure out how we can improve the healthcare system through entrepreneurship and innovation. Um, and that was, I went to business school in 2009. So that was quite, quite some years ago now. And how has it changed? So... I mean, tremendously. It has changed tremendously. I think mostly for the better. Um, <clears throat> I talk a lot about how in the early days, we were just really gaslit. And the old guard in healthcare, for the most part, I don't want to say all of them because there were folks who were super supportive and kind and helpful and 
I am forever grateful for them. But most of the old guard healthcare folks were very resistant to newcomers coming in, getting attention, trying to do things in, in a new way, and were like pretty nasty to me and others that were kind of in this wave of new innovators at around 2010 to 2012. And, um, you know, I think now I have some sympathy for them. I think they were really tired. I think the first health IT wave was uh, pretty miserable. <laughs> and, you know, I'm tired now. And there's been a lot of miserable things. So I get it. In a lot of ways, I get how, how they felt. But I also, you know, vowed that when I was the when I would become the old guard, that I would do it differently. And so I I have really tried to stick to that. And I sometimes find myself being skeptical and pessimistic. And I have to kind of correct myself um, because we need as many smart people as we can get in healthcare. There's no benefit in scaring people away. I think we need to, we can be helpful and encouraging. Um, and so that's really what I'm I'm dedicated to now. And it feels like there are a lot of now the old guard is like really awesome and and really for the most part does want to help and shares key learnings, whether that's like a postmortem because they failed or how they got to where they are um, you know, in success. And so I would say that's kind of the difference I've seen is that. We've recognized that healthcare can exist in a silo. We need to fill the table with diverse minds from different backgrounds. And as Albert Einstein said, we can't solve, you know, the problems. We can't solve the problems of the same thinking that created them. Mm. And um, and I think that for the most part, people are, are more open to that now. And that's how I think it's been the biggest difference in my experience. That's so inspiring. And the mm. fact that you've been able to keep your optimism in the midst of all of this too is such a challenge. I came up in healthcare at the same time and had a very similar <laughs> experience despite being in a different sector of healthcare and different side of the box of what's happening. And so I yeah. can totally say to you, it's very easy to look at it and say, oh, things are hopeless. Nothing's going to ever change. But I'm just so grateful to have people like you in the industry really leading the charge, you know, really leading yeah. the way and keeping Thank that you. optimism in the midst of all of the pessimism. In the, in the <laughs> Thank you. And likewise, I mean, it's, it's easy to get like, it's easy to be a naysayer and get a lot of attention by being a naysayer. Um, and it's easy to get like frustrated. Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated all the freaking time in healthcare. Um, and I find myself having to kind of like self-regulate and realize that change happens in healthcare a lot more slowly, but it's happening. And you see glimmers of progress that kind of keep you going. Yeah. And you figure out the powerful pivot, right? You figure out how to maybe get creative and change things so that maybe it works out next time. Very yeah. fascinating. So now given your background, I have to ask, you know, for women looking to start their own healthcare ventures and things in the space, from your experiences that you kind of bring to the table, what key challenges should women anticipate, women leaders in healthcare technology and in femtech? Um, and how can they navigate these obstacles effectively? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, fundraising is the thing I hear the most about from fellow female innovators. 
And the fact is women receive under 2% of venture funding. It's a data point that has been steady and in some years worsening. And we have to work harder and prove ourselves in our businesses in a way that male colleagues don't have to. And, um, you know, venture funding is an old boys club and it's not changing. That's not changing fast enough. So I would say that is, that's the biggest challenge that uh, I think women can anticipate. How to overcome that (laughs) challenge is, um, you know, probably a a whole book mm, topic, right? Yeah. Workshop, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not fair. It's really not fair. And there is ample research that shows that women are evaluated based on their track record and what they've accomplished, whereas men can, are evaluated based on their potential. It's why uh, Harvard dropout Mark Zuckerberg could easily get funding. Um, but women who are, you know, with a with a college degree and some, you know, work experience like where I was when I started Rock Health, why it was more challenging. And, um, you know, and I, and this is, again, this is generalization. This is, this is research backed facts. Um, there are certainly, there are certainly investors who are trying really hard to make sure that their portfolios are diverse and that they're giving women founders a chance. And I, you know, would love to see more of them. Um, but there are, there are, women healthcare investors like Lynn Chu of Define Ventures and Annie Lamont of Oak, which they've actually started their own funds dedicated to the space, which is pretty cool. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the advice I have. You know, be aware that these biases exist. And um, you know, there are people trying to trying to change them. But if you're going to succeed, you're going to have to succeed despite these biases that exist. And if if especially if you're a woman of color, then you have even more challenges um, that you may face in pitching your business and networking and closing funding. Um, and I don't know if I have like the right advice. I, I would say kind of for, for any founder, regardless of your gender, really focusing on building a business that solves a real problem in healthcare and get customers as soon as you can prove that people will pay for this. Um, you know, getting to product market fit is the most beneficial thing that you can do. I would, you know, be cautious of giving away too much of your company and being okay with saying no to investments if it means that you can maintain control and ownership. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it's it's absolutely a privilege to start a company. You have to be able to support yourself while you are getting up and running. And so some women are able to do this and moonlight with their day job. I, you know, it's very challenging. Um, others have to save enough to leave their companies and do this. Um, and, you know, recognizing that it's a great privilege and a huge risk. You sit on this very interesting line of having been an entrepreneur seeking funding and then also being an investor that funds. And so you kind of have this very unique perspective that you can bring to the table from both sides of things. You know, how do you feel that that kind of helps you in the work that you're doing and the mentorship that you give to others that are looking to get into the space? Yeah, well, certainly 
um, being an operator, having that experience, I've now started, um, I've now co-founded two women's health companies, one that exited and one that's about a year old, um, both raised over $5 million. Um, so, you know, series seed, series A stage, um, you know, being an op- nothing, there's nothing like being an operator. You are forced to learn very quickly, and it is the hardest job being a founder. Being an investor is way easier. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's easier to give advice and, you know, be a cheerleader on the sidelines than be the founder that's actually building things. It is, you are literally a firefighter as a, as a founder. Every day, there's something else to um, to solve. Another problem that pops up, and hopefully, um, you know the the highs are higher than the lows. I mean, it's um, there's there's really quite nothing like it, and I really wouldn't recommend it if you're if you haven't thought through <laughs> um, how challenging it is. But yeah, I think my my experience, I I like being an investor better in terms of the flexibility it gives me. Um, it's much easier. It's a much less stressful. But um, you know, being a good investor is really hard. And being an angel investor, you get really diluted over time. You have follow-on investors that you know create sh- new structures that totally screw you over. And I've had it happen over and over again, where it's um, you know it, it it can be really disappointing. So. Um, you know, being an angel investor is, is tough. Being a VC is even different, right? Because as a VC, as an angel investor, you have many investments. I've had 51, um, you know, angel investments over the last decade or so. As a VC though, you know, it's fewer fewer deals, but you're following on with them. So you're hopefully investing in, and continuing to keep kind of your ownership. Um, and it might include a board seat, more involvement, um, and so that's a, a a different beast altogether, but a little bit different from being an angel investor. What were some steps you took to start investing? Being an angel investor, you know, you from from what you were doing before, like what were the practical steps that you took, just practically to get things rolling? Yeah, I read venture deals um, many moons ago. That I feel like that book uh, at the time was kind of helped. It's like the Bible for investing. I'm not sure if there's something better today, but that was that was the book that really helped me study like the mechanics of deal making. Um, I would say though the most important thing was that I was in the right place at the right time, and it was easy to find great companies to invest in because I was living in San Francisco and the folks that I was hanging out with and working with and partying with were people that were working on really interesting um, companies. And so just the the deal flow, the networking all was really easy. And you know, people ask like, well, how do you find deals? And if you embed yourself in a community of innovation, the, the deals are just there. Yeah. Um, and you'll, you'll, you know, just have those, those opportunities. So I started with very small checks, $2,500. Um, and the first, you know, couple of companies had, had good returns for me. And so I kept going. Um, and I say this like, 
you have to recognize how illiquid angel investing is. Um, it takes many, many years for a company to exit. And the time right now is even longer because basically M&A and the IPO markets are like frozen, essentially. Um, but then I had the opportunity to... And this is something that's like not really spoken about, but um, I had the opportunity to be a VC scout. So I had a VC that gave me money um, and I was able to invest in... I kept uh, the first VC. It was 30% carry. Then they moved down to 20% carry. So I started investing other people's money, which is even better than investing your own money because I was able that's to write awesome. bigger checks. That is so checks. interesting. Yes. So how long did you do scouting then, VC scouting? Yeah. For probably four years. And I have a I have a couple blog posts on my website, hallieteco.com, where I like do a deep dive. I have one that's like all about what the VC Scout program is. Um, you know, how how does it work, which VCs do it, how to kind of get the gig. And um, I think that could be really helpful. And then I did a three-part series on angel investing. This year, I really slowed down. I think I've invested in two companies this year. Um, you know, in past years, it would be 10, 15 companies a year. Um, but this year, I really have taken a pause to to reflect and write more. And so earlier uh, this year, I I put together a kind of series where I just I'm completely transparent and I share like this is this is what I've done here are my outco- outcomes looking You're at so like- generous to be willing to share that knowledge <laughs> with people and I think it really yeah. stems back mm-hmm. to when you enter an industry and mentors mm-hmm. are few and far in between you realize how critical it is for the industry to have mentors like you willing to share your experiences yeah. with people. What has the feedback been like on yeah. these series that you've been doing? I mean, why why gatekeep? I don't know. I'm um I, I'm I'm against gatekeeping. I don't think that there's like uh, there there's especially no in an industry where mm. the end game is improved outcomes, yeah. <laughs> like patient lives on the on the line. I feel yeah. like Gatekeeping is immoral in many ways yeah. when you're thinking of the end game of all of healthcare being improving things for the all of healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I didn't have these guides when I was starting. And I really enjoy, I I thoroughly enjoy putting them together. And so um I've done I this year, I think I I hit like 40 blog posts as my first year blogging. Um but I'm what I'm basically doing is like the questions that I get or the things that people are most curious about, I I just write about them now and share them publicly. And then it saves me time. Like, look, I can't I can't mentor everyone who comes to me and asks for my time. I can't do office hours. I I I could fill my time plus some just doing these like free meetings and then I would have no salary. And I, you know, it's just like it's not sustainable. Um, I need to like focus on, I need to focus on my work. I really do. But I also feel an obligation to, as I said, I'm, I I want to see this next wave of innovators feel really supported and empowered to do things the right way. And so that's kind of, that was the motivation for me to kind of start putting all this content out there. And I do eventually want to write a book so that like I have something that you know I can point people towards that's like in one nice package. But um yeah, so so the the 
the angel investing series was like really what kicked it off. And then um, kind of went from there. And I have all sorts of topics from like, how to stay off the FTC's naughty list <laughs> um, to, you know, one, I, I recently worked on one with one of my portfolio companies that works in the privacy space around like every healthcare founder should read this before they run ads. Like just understand how retargeting can, you know, put you in the hot seat for the FTC. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the, the feedback I've gotten is really great. And I'm starting to really um, like build out a nice library of content for folks. So I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. I don't think it can stay on my like personal blog forever. That's why I'm thinking maybe, you know, kind of package it up in a book or some other brand or something. Um, but the goal really is to just help folks that are getting started or just need a resource to answer a question. I have another one that was really popular that was like, here are all the investors to talk to. Just because people will be like, who should oh, I pitch? Oh, true. Who should I bring this virtual yeah. care solution to? Who should to? I pitch? So yeah. like, here's a list. Here's a, here, here's a list of the people. Here's the investments they've done. Here's their names. I don't do the emails. You can find their emails. Um, but you know, stuff like that. That's just like, why gatekeep? Why is no one put together a list of digital health investors? I don't know. When did it hit you that you needed to be this person to share this information? Because there's only few people that sit in the line that you sit and have the experiences and connections um, and it, that you have. So when did it kind of hit you like, oh, I need to be doing this. This is the, mm. this needs to happen. And who's going to do this? And I need to be the yeah. one that does it. So so actually what happened was I I was recognizing that I was just like, so overwhelmed with inbound emails and DMs and um I felt terrible because I was like, I want to help, I want to be able to respond to everyone, I want to help everyone, but I could actually start to like bucket the requests into different, like like they're very common threads amongst many of them. And so in doing that, I realized, oh my gosh, like so one of my one of my most popular responses used to be. Like, hey, I can't, I can't get on a call. I can't let you pick my brain. I don't have capacity. But just like tell me what you want and I'll reply. And so I started to like, you know, track the sort of requests I was getting. And so through that was like, okay, people are asking me the same thing. Like they're coming to me for the same sort of questions. How do I find a job in digital health? Like, I'm like, I'm not a recruiter, but like, <laughs> you know, I put together a blog post. So you want to work in digital health? Um, or like, who should I pitch? Um, you know, all these, how do I get my first customer? Like, who should I be talking to? Those sort of things. And that's really when I, when I did that assessment of like, okay, what sort of requests am I getting that I can start streamlining? That was like, okay, I'll just turn this into a blog and hopefully help all those folks. And then, um, and then now it's just my away message. So if you email me I just have this like away message <laughs> um that I probably I it's been up for a while I need to like edit it but it's like you know I don't I don't work for free stop asking me to work for free like I don't do public speaking anymore like it's kind of just like the the common request people ask to be in my class like reach out to the school I don't manage you know who can be in my class or not like you have to register through the school so just pointing people into the direction of like the most common questions I get all of us women leaders are used to that email. Can I pick your brain for a second? 
And yeah. I think it's a really fascinating strategy that you've deployed here that we all need to maybe <clears throat> consider. Maybe we need to get creative with how we respond instead of just saying no or pay for it or whatever, which is all good responses. Maybe saying, hey, let me let me help inform people so that I'm not getting these massive yeah. amounts of requests that are just impossible to... Impossible. And I mean, I I hate it because I, I realize there are people who picked up the phone and talked to me when I was early in my career and I'm like so grateful to them. And so I want to, you know, I want to be that person for others. It's just, you have to know your capacity mm-hmm. and, um, you know, seasons in your life change and you have time in seasons when you have that capacity or say you have a job where actually networking with people in your space, maybe you're hiring. And so having those calls is really important to your job. And then you have other times when like, you're like, this is purely a distraction. This is charity. <laughs> I just, I can't do any more charity. I need to be able to like feed my family and not be stressed. And, um, and so I think another tactic that I've seen people do and something I'm thinking about doing is like, there's like apps where you can do office hours that they like manage it. So people can, um, you know, book it there. And I, I saw one founder that said like, I just do that. I just do these office hours really early in the morning because then you only get people who like really want to talk to you. And I was like, that's kind of cruel, but <laughs> I've seen uh, that. And I've also seen people like putting in like a PayPal link to like, if you're going to set up time with me, this is how much the consulting hour. Is. Oh, I think like in order to schedule a thing, PayPal, everything. And oh my gosh, that people still will do it. So it's I like, think that's why not, you know, absolutely reasonable. We can, not expect people to work for free if it is a one-way conversation. I mean, if 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 someone says, I don't need to network, like I this is not something that I'm prioritizing my life right now. So connecting with the other person is purely to help them. Like I I don't I don't think that's that's wrong. People like women need to get paid. Stop asking people to speak for free at events that people are paying a ton of money to go to if it doesn't like benefit them. I realize there are cases where like you want to get in front of customers. Like, sure, I will speak for free if it's like going to help me sell my product and my business succeed. Then there are other cases where, you know, I don't have anything to sell. Like there's, there's literally no benefit to me to go to. I have said no to every single conference over the last three years because I'm just like, I don't need to network. I don't want to network. I don't want to travel. I don't want to get on a plane. Like no one masks. No one cares about COVID anymore. Like, and I do. And so, you know, I've gotten really good at saying, just saying no, I just, just no. And maybe if you would pay me, if you pay me, I would, I would consider it, but if not unpaid, absolutely not. I had, I had this one tweet that um, kind of went viral because I, I told the story about how, um, look, I'm, I'm an adjunct professor. I've been teaching since 2015. It is a paid position. Uh, this mm-hmm. is not a volunteer position at the school. Um, this is a paid position. I run a classroom. I take it very seriously. Um, but I had another university ask me to come speak to their exec ed students that were paying like $17,000 to be there. And they didn't even offer to cover my travel. I was just like, you want me to pay to come talk to people that are like, you know, paying this exorbitant amount. It just... Women, everybody deserves that their time is valued and respected. And I have no problem in paying someone if I if I need something from them and I don't have anything else to offer them and they don't need to talk to me, but they're going to take time out of their day that they could be making money. Like, I'm happy to pay them. Couldn't agree more. 
Couldn't agree more. And I think all the women listening right now are like, amen, sister, hallelujah, <laughs> preach it from the top. <laughs> so thank you for saying it. It's true. Uh, women don't work for free. Yeah. <laughs> and if you need... It really makes sense for you. And if you're on the other side of it and you're like, man, I really need to talk to this person because they could really help me. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't have a ton of money to like pay them because these are people that are like, my hourly rate is not is not cheap, right? Um, I think consider making it really easy for them. Do you really need to get on a call with them? Can it just be async? Like, what is it that you really want? Like, is it that you really want suggestions on companies that that they should potentially work at? Then just like email them and ask them. And if and I guarantee that someone is more likely to help if you make it really easy for them to help on their own time, asynchronously via email or text or whatever it is, than like getting on another... We all have... Zoom fatigue. Like we're so I'm so sick of sitting in front of my computer and like being on call after call after call after call. Like I don't want to do it. So um, you know, that's that's a piece of advice. And I think a lot of um a lot of folks that you reach out to would be happy to help if you just are like very direct about it. But like the worst is like, I just want to pick your brain. No, what what exactly do you want? <laughs> like Exactly. Be specific, right? Be specific. And also don't forget that there's crowdsourcing uh, for digital health and healthcare IT on Twitter. And and, and it's a totally underutilized resource. People find uh, hospitals and health systems to pilot, payers that are willing to pilot their technologies just via social media. So if you want to ask, ask the social world and maybe tag a few folks that you know are well, that may be willing to amplify it for you. Most Uh, people are willing to retweet. Most people yes. are totally fine with doing that. They want to see you succeed, especially if you're doing yes. something worthwhile. Yeah. So, you know, get creative with finding that information. You know, if they, somebody says no, find it another way. Yeah. Um, it makes a lot of sense. So you were talking a lot about capacity. And I kind of mm-hmm. want to lean into now your personal journey, like as a human in on this <laughs> world, you know, you're a successful career woman. <clears throat> what are tips and tricks you do just in your day-to-day to work your best and make a difference? Like, how do you stay on top of your personal life game while you're also just really succeeding in your professional life? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, probably not enough, but I'm like, what I'm doing now is very different from the beginning of my career. And I recognize that I have a lot of privileges now that did not exist for me when I was starting out. When I was starting out, I was such a workaholic and I prioritized work above all else. And, you know, would I be here if I hadn't done that? Who knows? Like I probably could have been more efficient (laughs) um, and more balanced and still have succeeded. But there's certainly something to be said about the hustle that I showed early on in my career that now my my biggest priority now is flexibility. That's all I want. That is the most valuable thing to me. Like you could offer me a job that is like really exciting and really high pay, but if I had to like go to an office every day and like, you know, only have two weeks of vacation, I would say no. Um, I, I like to me where I am right now, it's all about flexibility. And so I make all of my decisions based on that goal of flexibility. So for instance, I I started, I helped start this company, Cofertility, and I could have been the CEO, but instead I, you know, knew someone who was thinking about starting a company and 
we banded together and I was like, you're the CEO. I'm I'm older, I have more experience, but she's an incredible leader. She has a ton of experience. And um, and I'm like, where I am in my life, like I'm going to be a really awesome board member and co-founder. Like that is where I am. You're gonna be an awesome CEO. This is where you are, you know, knew where she was in her career and her life. And so every decision I make is really around that. Like, do I have control, autonomy, and flexibility. And so like this year, my husband, my son, and I spent nine weeks probably of the whole year abroad, just working abroad and being able to do that and being in a totally different time zone. We were in Asia for half of that, Europe for half of that. And so being able to like, you know, do that is is incredible. Um and it's, you know, for for me, like COVID was, we were very like I did nothing during COVID. We were, we were very conservative for a long time. So now I'm kind of like the pendulum has swung and I'm like, I want to see the world again. Um, but and yeah, I think- experience it as a family. It's it's really inspiring. Yeah. A lot of flexibility. Mm. Could you imagine years ago when you were first starting your career, even considering being flexible with your time and also being able to build your career the yeah. way that you're building it? It's pretty amazing yeah. in this day and age that you can do that. Um, yeah. you know, have there been any personal challenges in your in your life that have inspired the work that you do today? You know, in healthcare, yeah. it's often the case where something you go through just says, Hey, I need to fix this issue. Yeah. You know, what's that for you? Yeah. I'm so infertility has been like probably the biggest like medical mm-hmm. thing I have faced and dealing with many years. I think we did IVF for nine years. Um and you know, fortunately have one miracle child because of it, but going through that. And and it's interesting because infertility is one of those that is like as emotional as it is physical. Um, and so that certainly opened my eyes to the opportunity within women's health and specifically infertility and that whole space, the bar is just really low. Um, and, um, you know, there's anything that is $20,000 where you, you know, may or may not have the outcome you want. Um, I can't think of another industry that has something like that. Where like your chances of walking home with the baby after a round of IVF is 30%. Wow. And it's like $20,000. Wow. Like what? And it uh, uncovered by insurance. Um, there are very few health plans that cover it. So um, that certainly was huge for me. I also, um, you know, I live with asthma and I have um, some immune system issues that I am constantly battling. And so um, really prioritizing my health. And currently I'm kind of like getting back into something I was really into when I started in in healthcare, which is like the quantified self. Now, I think that there's like... Uh, a pathological path <laughs> within the quantified self that's like to me just too much like it focusing on the data so much to me can be stressful and so um you know I'm not I'm not that paranoid but for instance I recently like built out this whole spreadsheet of like all the supplements I was taking and then I was like okay I'm I'm switching it up I'm going to there's some that I was going to go off of and I wanted to like really introduce now that I'm 40 I was like shit, like I need more calcium. Uh, my vitamin D is always low. So kind of creating this spreadsheet and just really prioritizing what I'm putting in my body. Um, I, you know, I also work out a, a lot. Um, I do a lot of Pilates. That's kind of my my drug of choice. Um, and I do some, some weightlifting that I started after I was in uh, a car accident. I was 
rear-ended by a drunk driver two and a half years ago. Uh-huh. My car was totaled and I did not break a bone because I had a Volvo. This is not an ad for Volvo, wow. but also <laughs> Volvo very sponsor. happy. <laughs> like a girl. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but absolutely saved my life. And um, But I had whiplash and I had to kind of work back um, to kind of m- my mobility uh, through physical therapy, which kind of led to weightlifting my my PT is a CrossFitter. So she oh, uh, she inspired you to get <laughs> inspired into- me. So I, you know, I've been working with her for two and a half years and weightlifting and just being strong has been like something that's new to me. I never You can like, legit hit like a girl. <laughs> I can hit like a girl. That's my goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, now I'm like just you know, years away from menopause. And so there's like all this other stuff, health stuff looming. And I think it's ironic when we work in healthcare and don't take care of our own health. There are many of us like that, including my former self. And you can, you can, you know, slide for your 20s and some of your 30s, but then it really catches up with you. So um, I was hoping to get an aura ring on sale for Black Friday and they didn't have a good sale. So, um, not sure what I'm going to do, but I, I want to get one. I want to start like, you know, really tracking sleep better and whatnot. So that was a very long way to answer your question about No, it is really interesting. Stuff. So do you find that women's health generally, and I hate that it's women's health. It should just be health, right? Like it shouldn't be yeah. women's health, women's tech, femtech, whatever, but it is. So do you find that your own experiences with health then inspire some of the investments that you do now? Or do you find it's more trends that are in the industry generally that could potentially, you know, support? I think both. And I think that this is this is something, some advice I give folks when they're talking about um, single stock picking and investing in the stock market and like a single stock. And I think like using your own experiences is a great way to identify trends. Like if you know a ton about, um, you know, if you're like an interior designer and you know, like what furniture brands are like trending and it's, you know, the public stock, like then, you know, I think that sort of information can help drive your strategy and be really an effective way to, um, you know, be successful in the stock market. So I would say like use as a patient, I'd like to use my own experiences to to become a better investor um, and a better founder. So yes, I definitely, I definitely kind of combine my interest. And then it's it's like a vicious cycle. Like if something is wrong, like if I have like some ailment, I go down like the rabbit hole of knowing everything about it. Like IVF, I know everything about IVF. I know every company in the space. I would not have done an that. expert on the dive. topic. You never wanted to be an expert. I never, I, I hate it. Oh. I'm so glad I'm on the other side of it now. Um, but you know, I would never have gone that deep into the topic if it, if I didn't have that personal drive. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't like, you know, ask the questions, I'm just a curious person. Like, how does this work? And wait, you know, all, there's so many nuances to it. So like understanding embryo grading, I know, you know, now all the companies that are doing that in the space and um, just to make things more efficient. So yes, that was another long way to say, yes, like I think having, and I encourage everyone to use your own, you know, when life gives you lemons, make some lemonade. Like if there's anything good out of it, I have invested in Kind Body, which is doing exceptionally well in the space. Um, Tia, which is doing exceptionally well yes, in the space. So yeah. um, I've, you know, if, if nothing else, my experience has like led me to build a thesis that has helped me invest in some really tremendous companies. So from you know all your experience in the industry, 
what are the women that you look up to in the industry doing right? You know, you're kind of looking, we all have someone we look up to. We all look up to you (laughs) and would love to learn (laughs) who you look up to, you know, and why, why do you look up to them? What are they different about them? How are they positioning themselves for success in areas that really inspire you? Yeah. There's so many, Um, you know, when I think about those who have like, despite all odds made it, um, quite far in the startup world. And I hate to use the term unicorn because I think that there's certainly some issues around it. Um, but to, to get to a billion dollar valuation in a company, you have to, even if um, you know the valuation was in 2021, <laughs> um, you have to... Uh, building a company of that scale is a tremendous feat. And, um, and seeing women like Anne Wecky, a 23andMe that's now publicly traded or... Toya Najayi from CityBlock, Julia Cheek from Everly Health, the last two companies that I've, that last two are companies that I have invested in. So um, a little biased. Um, or Kate Ryder of Maven, or I mentioned earlier, Anne Lamont of Oak. I'm an LP in her fund. Um, you know, I think the strategies they deployed was to work hard and work smart. Um, I think that these are already very smart, confident women. And um, they didn't let people get in their way. And they they had good ideas. They built strong networks. They surrounded themselves with other smart people. Um, and and they've built... They've done it gracefully, I would say. They don't... I, I'm, like, I'm sure they're like a duck, you know, paddling underwater and it's all crazy. <laughs> um, but they have been like beacons of light in the space where it's so nice to have different faces that are not just men um, to look up to because then, you know, you're like, okay, I can, I see myself in them. And I know that there's room at the top. We just like, let's just figure out how to get there. Oh, I just love that. You know, to finish this conversation off, right. Where can our listeners find you online? Yes. um, I am all over the internet. I would say, my my blog is probably the most helpful place. So just my name, HallieTecco.com. You can Google it. And I I need to have like a better search function, but um, you know, you can look up topics from women's health to I think there's a couple blog posts on fertility, starting a company, angel investing, um, just tons of resources. And I'll continue to publish resources. I have one that's coming out by the time this episode is out. a new blog post will be out about how to sell your company. I've interviewed four founders who all sold their companies for over $190 million and in the the digital health space and um, interviewed them, kind of synthesized some of the key learnings and sharing that on the blog. So that kind of stuff. Um, I'm also on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and it's just all under my name. And I love connecting with folks. So follow me, tweet at me. Can you say tweet at me anymore? X at me? I don't yeah, you can say tweet at me. No <laughs> rules. And I know all of you guys are going to just love that content. So thank you so much, you know, Hallie, for your generosity of, of being willing to share it with us. We are all learning yeah. from you and you inspire us in the work you do. Before thank I forget. You. Yeah. Tell us what tea you brought with. Oh, yes. You brought okay. today. Yes. So oh, rock this health, is, it says. This is my Rock Health vintage mug. This is our, uh, when we started our um, our tagline, which is on the other side, is build something useful. And mm-hmm. that was really our uh, 
our mantra for kind of the tech community and to encourage folks who were in tech that wanted to start companies to really think about how they were spending their time and maybe guilt them into joining us in healthcare. <laughs> um, so this is an old, old vintage mug, at least 10 years old now. So, um, And I only drink green tea. So that is what I'm drinking today. Oh, well, that's just too good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so nice to have you here. Thank you so much. And thanks to you folks too. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more interviews with esteemed guests like Hallie today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 